In the beginning, we were created and designed to live and walk with God. But humanity traded the truth for a lie. We traded the glory and goodness of God for the world and our own ways. Separated from God, we were stuck in a pit of our own making. But Jesus broke through. Through his death on the cross and his resurrection, he rescued us from our sin, shame, and pain. Jesus shows us and teaches us how to live a new life, full life, a life that is upside down compared to what we are used to. His upside down, or rather, right side up ways are beautiful and perfect. He empowers us to live his mission, turning this upside down world right side up for his kingdom, his power, and his glory. So I can still picture the exact square foot of real estate that I was standing in uh, at a high school week of church camp where uh, to my, I was in the cafeteria and to my right was, I was like leaning on the, um, the counter where they served the, the food and to my left was like the whole cafeteria where all the kids were, but it was kind of an empty room and in front of me was this giant of a man standing over me, and I, and I was not short at the time, and he's talking to me, he's telling me, uh, his name was Pastor Danny Banks, and he really wasn't telling me, he was, he was kind of preaching at me, uh, which is kind of an interesting experience. Like, it's one thing to, like, have your preacher voice, like, in a group like this. I tell you, it's a whole other thing, like, being preached at, like, one-on-one, just Kind of strange, to be real honest. But anyway, this giant of man, Danny Banks, he is, because he's just so passionate about what he's saying, and he's sharing about a dear friend of his who had a near-death experience in a motorcycle accident. He was in a coma for a number of days, and then upon coming out of that coma, like, was sharing that his very first words coming out of that coma were this. He said that anyone who ever said, you don't take anything with you when you die, it's a lie. They're wrong. There's one thing that each and every single one of us takes with us when we die. And of course, Pastor Danny Banks went on to share what that is, and I'll share what that, of course, is here in a bit. But really, I wanna look at how Jesus, I would say, actually expands on that one thing that uh, this uh, gentleman, who is a friend of Pastor Danny Banks, shared with me. And so, uh, with that, I wanna invite you to turn to Matthew chapter six in your Bible. Uh, We are in a series called The Best Sermon Ever, which, uh, if you're newer, make no mistake, we are in no way suggesting you're getting the best sermons ever here, but we know where to find it. And that is the sermon by Jesus, known as the Sermon on the Mount. And as you turn there, uh, I came across some interesting statistics on uh, selfies, actually. Uh, Selfies, those pictures that we take with our smartphones of ourselves. And the Washington Post reported how hundreds of people have lost their lives and failed selfie attempts. And the data uh, was revealing the many ways in which this takes place. And the number one way that people die trying to take a selfie, apparently, is drowning. 
I wouldn't have guessed that one. Uh, but yeah, drowning number one, followed by vehicles, falling, uh, firearms, animal attacks, and electrocution. And so to me, based on that, it appears that our desire to be seen by others is literally killing us. Our desire to be seen by others is literally killing us. And according to Jesus, the selfie, the uh, social media look at me culture, uh, it's actually not new or unique to the dawn of the smartphone, but it's actually something that's been with us for millennia. Uh, Definitely back to the time of Jesus, uh, but I think we could make the case that it goes all the way back to the beginning. The book of Genesis, creation itself, where in the garden, Adam and Eve first put their self, their selves ahead of what God had for them. And so with that, we're going to look at what Jesus has to say about this idea, this focus, this natural draw toward self. Jesus, he says it this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be careful. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness, not to do your good deeds, serve, give. Be careful not to do good things and practice righteousness in front of others. Be careful not to do these things in front of others, which I find a very interesting directive because just a few verses earlier, what literally actually would have been minutes prior in the same sermon from the same Jesus, he says these interesting words. He says, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. And so isn't that interesting, this irony that in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, do your good deeds to be seen by others, but then just minutes later, our verse for today, he says, hey, oh yeah, do your good deeds not to be seen by others. And so what's the deal here? Two completely different directives in the same sermon from the same person, literally just verses and minutes apart, and so which is it? Well, let's take a closer look at the context of each of these moments within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, these teachings. And that Matthew 6, 1, again, this is our passage for today, says to be careful. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. And then in Matthew 5, again, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And so what we see here, same acts, but two different reasons, two different whys, you could say, behind what we do. And so when it comes to what we do, Jesus says, that what it is that actually matters is why we do what we do, that it all comes down to the why. Because that's what we see. We see the exact same deeds, same goodness, same serving, Same giving, whatever it might be, whether you're doing that, it all comes down to why we do what we do seems to make not just the difference, but according to Jesus, it's all of the difference. So Jesus, he goes on uh, in verse one to share, you could say, the results of having, uh, again, our passage today, the the wrong why uh, behind the what's that we do. 
Again, he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by with the motivation of being seen by them. Because he says, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And Jesus, he cautions us that if you give, if you do good deeds, if you serve, and you do that for an audience and the applause and the extrinsic reward of others' acclaim, Jesus is saying that you actually, you short-circuit You box out the intrinsic reward that God had designed for you in the first place. In other words, when you boast, you actually rob yourself of the blessing. That when we boast or brag about the things that we do, that we in turn rob ourselves of the blessing that God intended for us in the first place. And so Jesus, he goes on. He gives further direction on how to beat this, knowing our temptation towards self, to boast, to brag, uh, saying in verse two, he says, so knowing that this is a temptation to focus on self, when you give to the needy, when you give, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets in order to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so Jesus really expounding on the same idea that when we do our good deeds or when we give for an audience and the applause of others, well then we have then in that our only reward. That is, he says, your reward in full. You short circuit the reward that your heavenly father had planned for you otherwise. You could put it this way, that according to Jesus, when you give, With the wrong why, you will end up with the wrong result. That when you give with the wrong why, you end up with the wrong result. We can do all the right things, but if we're doing it for the wrong reason, in the end, we're gonna end up, Jesus says, with the wrong results. So following this from Jesus, in the words of Jesus, when he says, when you give, I wanna take a look at today, you could say, three wrong whys behind the what's that we do. That it was gonna give you the wrong result when we give and are generous and do things like this. Three wrong whys. The first one, Jesus has already given us, kind of head on. He says that when we give to get attention, that a wrong why is to give, you could say give to gloat. Jesus says it this way. He says that when we trumpet, when we kind of resound our good deeds or our giving, that when we do that, he says, you're just like the rest of the world who does these things for the audience and the applause of others, to be honored by others. And so I think it's important to say, you could say that there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with sharing or telling or posting about being a part of a good deed or receiving a plaque or a name on a building for a generous gift. But Jesus says that when it comes to these things, what we have to watch for Again, comparing Matthew 5 and Matthew 6 is why are we doing what we are doing? You know, why are we sharing? Why are we telling? Why are we posting? Why, uh, you could say, are are we fine if we get no recognition for the gift, the plaque, the name on the building? And again, so it's not whether or not these things happen. It really comes back to the heart. It's, it's really praying the prayer in our own heart, as it all comes back to that, of the psalmist of Psalm 139. He says it this way. It's a great prayer when it comes to what we do and the why behind it. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts 
and see within myself if there is any offensive way in me. And so that's us prayerfully asking, okay, God, am I doing this to be, Matthew 6, seen and honored by others, or is this about an inner commitment of Matthew 5, that others might see my good deeds, but with the sole purpose of pointing them to you, our Father in heaven. It's a matter and a work of the heart. Because according to Jesus, when we do the right things, but we do them with the wrong why, we're gonna end up with the wrong result. Okay, so when we give to get attention as a wrong why, give to gloat. Another wrong why is when we give to get. When we give to get. Now, when it comes to this subject, I think there's a lot of, you could say, muddy waters on this particular subject here. So I want to bring some clarity to this for us. So that when it comes to giving in the scriptures, uh, the scriptures talk about uh, the tithe. Uh, when you hear churches talk about, like, hey, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. And so a tithe, that's kind of a strange word, but it actually just means literally a tenth. It means a tenth. Ten percent that, uh, again, if you could say for every ten dollars that we receive, we believe from God, we then are giving back one of those dollars in return to God. And what I love about that is that it's, it's simple math. It's not algebra. It's not pre-algebra. And thankfully, it's not common core. It's just like simple. Even I can do it. One out of every ten. Okay, now we're talking my math language. And so... We've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, and as we've been doing this over the last number of weeks, if you've been with us, we've witnessed how when it comes to the behaviors that we do, like in this case talking about giving, that Jesus, he always takes the behavior and, again, gets to the heart of the matter. In fact, leading up to this moment, he's been using this turn of phrase over and over again, saying, you've heard it said about this behavior, but Jesus will go on and say, but I say to you, the heart of the matter. And so if you've been with us, uh, you've seen where Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said, do not murder. But I say to you, uh, do not let anger and bitterness well up within your heart. Or you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say to you, uh, do not even look upon someone with lustful intent, for that means you've already committed adultery in your heart. Or, you know, keep your oaths, keep your promises, uh, you've heard it said. But I say to you, Like, let your yes stand, your no stand. Like, let your integrity shine through. And so with this idea in mind, later in Matthew, Jesus does a similar thing uh, with the religious leaders of the day who were missing it, focusing just on the behaviors and missing the heart behind, the why behind the what's. Uh, He says it this way. He says, Jesus says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin. Essentially, everything they receive, they're literally tithing back. Uh, He says, you've done what you've heard it said, but I say to you, Jesus says, you have neglected. You have neglected the more important matters of the law. Some translations say the weightier matters of the law, of justice and mercy and faithfulness. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. In other words, Jesus says, you've heard it said, you know about tithing, about giving back a tenth all that you receive, but I say to you that the heart of that matter, the weightier matter that you have missed, you have missed justice and mercy and faithfulness. 
Or you could say that the what and the why of everything we do, everything we give to, is to be rooted in, Jesus says, in justice, in God's mercy, in faithfulness to God, that we are committing to his will and his ways at our heart and out of the overflow into the world. That everything we do, uh, Jesus would say in another setting, has to hang on the two greatest commandments. That everything that we behave, do, believe, comes on love God and love others. That when we do good, when we serve, that when we give, it is based on the reality that God first loved us, First John says this, and then out of the response to that, we love God in return and we love others with that love. That we are doing that in faithfulness to God, demonstrating the justice and mercy of who our God is. And so I say all that, what does that have to do with give to get? Well, it, there's this teaching out there uh, that suggests something to the effect of that tithing is essentially that if, you could say that if you give God the one, that he'll give you 10. And if you give God the 10, he'll give you 100. As if at its core, tithing is some type of financial bet that you can literally take to the bank as a good return on investment. Now, the scriptures certainly speak to the reality that when we trust God with our resources, that we can trust that he's gonna provide for us. And like that, absolutely, the scriptures speak to that. I've experienced that in my own life, yes, 100%. But tithing, giving back to God, is not a financial investment strategy that says if you give God the 10th, then he's gonna like 10X your fiscal results. In fact, what scripture and Jesus reveals over and over and over again is that when we give the one, it is in response to, it's not to get the 10, but in response to the reality that God has already given us 10. Because God has already given us the 10, we give back to him the one. It's the reality of Psalm 24, where it says that the earth, like the whole earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And so we are reminded that 100% of everything is God's in the first place. And so he has given it to us on loan. We don't get it before we got here. We don't get to take it with us when we are gone. We understand that God has given us 100% of everything. So really, we are not even technically giving when we give. We are actually giving back. That's why you hear language like return the tithe. We return back to God a portion of what he has given to us in the first place. Because after all, remember, the whole reason we are here is because actually God has already generously given us literally everything in giving us his one and only son who would then live his life to give his life so that we could be given the gift of a new life both here and to all of eternity in heaven. A book I read a number of years ago um, on spiritual disciplines really helped crystallize this idea for me. I found it super helpful. It's a really old book. Um, I might have said something bad because I realize maybe some of you are older than this book. But 1950 uh, was when the book was published. And uh, so it's more than 70 years old. So anyway, I'm going to move on. Uh, so it's one of these books that's been standing the test of time. And it's just got a lot of wisdom in it uh, by a pastor of the day, uh, Albert Edward Day. Uh, he says this when it comes to this topic. He says, you know, we tithe often uh, as the assurance that God prospers the tither. Make the nine-tenths that are left go farther than the ten-tenths would have otherwise. But he says that, of course, is not giving, but trading. It's not being generous. It is striking a good bargain. 
Because, according to Jesus, when we give with the with the wrong result. And so these, these wrong whys that we want to avoid, we want to avoid giving to get, we want to avoid giving for attention, to gloat, to brag, to show off. And then from there, the third wrong why uh, that we want to avoid when giving that gets us the wrong result, and I'll be honest, this is the one that I struggle with the most, so I'm preaching to me here if you want to lean in and get something out of it, by all means. Uh, but that is giving from guilt. Giving from guilt, and this can show up in a lot of different ways. Uh, sometimes it's kind of like an internal guilt, just at the opportunity that is presented. Uh, I just had this yesterday. I was at a place where it's like, hey, do you want to round up your change for X, Y, Z? And it's like, sure. You know, it's just like you, we've experienced this, this internal guilt given an opportunity. Uh, but sometimes it's an external guilt, uh, where maybe, for example, uh, you're in a setting where there's a place where, like, you know, there's someone like me standing on a stage like this before a group of people like you that says something to the effect of, well, you know, with the economic times being so uncertain and, you know, what inflation and interest rates running rampant and, you know, artificial intelligence has taken over the world, uh, if you don't give... Uh, we're gonna have to start laying off staff. You know, parents, you're gonna have to bring your own snacks to the uh, nursery. Uh, Have you seen what inflation is doing to the cost of goldfish crackers? (laughs) And as you leave here today, just be careful, watch your step. You may have noticed just in order to pay the light bill, we had to unscrew every other light bulb in the hallways. And so just just watch your going. I mean, first of all, if I were to say that, that would be uh, a complete lie. Uh, because thanks be to God and the faithfulness and the giving of this particular church, we have more than met our ministry expenses and actually thankful to get to give above and beyond what we had budgeted to local and global missions partners on a regular basis. And so that's all good. I'm so thankful God has been, God has been kind to us as a church to allow us to participate in amazing things, both in our church, in our community, and around the world. Thankful to God for this. And the Apostle Paul, he actually describes why this happens. Uh, He talks about this uh, in a letter to a church about what it is that they're experiencing in the same way. He says, remember this. Again, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And so I'm thankful to be a part of a, a generous church that has sown generously and we get to reap what God has for us generously and back and forth is kind of building reality that happens for us. But Paul, he goes on to explain how this works. How do we get there as a church? He says, it's by this. It's by each of you, each one of us. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. And not reluctantly or under compulsion, not under guilt, because God loves a cheerful giver. And when we've decided in our heart what God has led us in, and then we have this, then we have that opportunity to have the resolve to cheerfully give. I love the way that the NIV Biblical Theological Study Bible, its commentary on this, uh, simply says it this way. It says, giving should result from an inward resolve, not an impulsive nor a casual decision. Uh, saying, really, when we give, like, on the one extreme, we shouldn't mentally and casually check out. Like, it becomes so normal, normative, that we're not even engaged in the real reason we're doing this. But then on the other extreme, we're not to do it, you know, out of guilt or under compulsion. But centered in 
this inward resolve to, and this is our fourth why, and this is the one that we're after, to give in order to give glory to God. That this is the right why behind why we give. That we wanna give with the sole purpose of giving glory and credit to God. And so as mom always said, three wrongs don't make a right, or, or two wrongs maybe it is, but we're gonna go three wrongs don't make a right. But when we pursue the correct right, the right why, and box out these wrong ones, it is a way in which when we focus on giving glory to God, we then naturally will resist these particular ones that are the wrong whys. It's why, frankly, each week, even though you know, we'll, we'll share and celebrate how your generosity is uh, having kingdom impact or, you know, around the world, like, like we shared earlier about, you know, the, the kids who got to go to uh, the elementary uh, conference, uh, Super Startup North. And right now we've got like 75 students and adult leaders who are up at uh, Winter Retreat at a camp uh, just north of Moroa there, a little galley there. It's great. Like these are the things that we get to be a part of. But ultimately you'll also hear us say something to the effect that giving is first and foremost an act of worship. It is first and foremost, number one, it is about giving glory to God, returning to God in recognition of his great worth that goes far beyond anything financial, but his infinite worth that he is worthy of all of our worship. Romans 12, one says, I offer our whole selves as a living sacrifice. And so yes, we do that here in the context of corporate worship as we, you could say, return our voices to God in proclaiming and singing uh, to him about who he is but it also is when we give. We are giving worth and worship, expressing in the ultimate way that all our worth is in who God is by showing that we believe he gave it to us in the first place when we return a portion of that back to him. It really comes down to what Pastor Jonathan uh, shared with us this past week, if you were with us. If you missed that, it was a solid teaching on Jesus' teaching about prayer and fasting, which actually this part of our section of the Sermon on the Mount is where we're at right now. But Jonathan, he showed us at the bottom line that Jesus is getting at, that he said, when you pray, when you fast, or today, when you give, that the question behind each and every one of these questions is this question alone, and that is simply this. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? God is asking in everything that we do, give, serve, do good, pray, fast. Do you trust me? Do you trust that I have provided? Do you trust that I am providing? Do you trust that I will continue to provide? And when it comes to our resources, God shows us that we get to prove that by taping, taking that step of trust, by giving back to God, literally, uh, a belief that, we are giving back 10% of the 100% that he has given us in the first place. That is what a tithe opportunity is. It was interesting, I was thinking about this, uh, this, this past Sunday, uh, a week ago today, uh, we had a, um, a retreat here at the church with our, our elders and our, our business administration team at the church. These are lay leaders, volunteers in the life of the church who help steer and lead where we are heading as a church. And as we were discussing and praying about and discerning like the next chapter of First Christian Church and, and where we're headed in the days ahead, um, and, and some exciting plans to launch new ministries, we're gonna extending our reach into the community and around the world, some very cool stuff. We're looking at how we might invest in our facilities here in the West Auditorium as well as in the East Auditoriums to uh, make more space and seats to allow, as we see, friends from our community calling First Christian Church home more and more. And we're gonna share more about this all in the months ahead. But I said this to the elders in the midst of that, uh, that retreat together. I said that if someone in the life of the church 
like today, like walked up to us and wrote us a check for the full amount of all that we believe God is calling us to over the next several years. Uh, I, I said, and I mean this, I said, that would be a bad thing. If someone just wrote a check for everything that we felt called to do together as a church, if someone just wrote and just covered that with one fell swoop, that that would be a bad thing if, if it meant somehow that the rest of us then were excused. If we were exempt from then ourselves having to prayerfully consider and prayerfully participate in how God is calling each and every one of us to join in together in generosity toward what God is calling all of us as his church to be a part of. You see, in the church, generosity, um, you could say it's an all-skate. Uh, for those of you who grew up with skating parties, right? Uh, rather than a, an exclusive reality to a couple people who can give, you know, above and beyond uh, what seems like normal amounts for uh, the rest of us. It is an all-skate that God is calling each and every one of us to prayerfully participate when it comes to the resolve in our hearts for what God has called each of us to play a part in. Because when it comes to generosity, and, and those of you who've experienced this, who've kind of tested God in this, you know uh, that when it comes to generosity, it's not that God needs or wants something from us. He doesn't, you know, he has a thousand cattle on a thousand hills, it says. He doesn't want something from us, but that we discover as we step out and trust in generosity, that we discover that God wants something for us. He wants something for you when you step into trusting him with your resources. And so with that, I love what Jesus does. He doesn't just teach us these things and tell us these things and like, good luck with that. He, he goes on and he gives us, you could say, some really practical advice on how when it comes to our, our doing and our acts of righteousness and our giving, like how we can do that in a way that honors God, that focuses on that glory to God, why, rather than all the other things that can get in our way. Um, he, he says it this way, this very helpful practice in verse three in our passage as he wraps up what he has to teach us in this. He says it this way. He says, but when you give, when you give to the needy, do not let your, he says, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Illustratively saying, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so rather than boasting or trumpeting or sharing for any of those other, again, focusing on ourself, our guilt, our gains, or the glory of others, Jesus says, let your good deeds and your giving in certain cases be done in secret. It's actually called the spiritual practice of secrecy. It's been around a long time because it's really started when Jesus gave us this teaching. And the definition really is what Jesus said. It is the intentional giving of gifts in a way that's not publicly known, that we might not be given to gloat, but just between you and the Lord. Because what we discover is that the more attention and the more affection that we give to God, his kingdom, his will, and his ways and his glory, then naturally the less attention and demands we will seek and the affection of others, the guilt, or our own gains. It's like uh, John the Baptist, he says that, uh, that he must increase so that I will decrease, that the two go hand in hand. And so 
Coming back to my story at the beginning, uh, again, I'm remembering exactly where I was with the cafeteria counter on my right and the cafeteria seating on my left and that giant of a man, Danny Banks, standing and preaching over me this passionate story about his friend who'd come out of the coma who said, anyone who ever said, you don't take anything with you when you die, it's a lie, it's not true, that there's one thing, he said, there's one thing that every single one of us takes when we die and we go to stand before Jesus. And he said that one thing every single one of us takes with us, he says, is our motive. Our motive. That's the one thing we take with us. It's what Jesus shows. It's that why behind the what. It's like the Apostle Paul. He goes on later to say, like, when we do things, but we do it without love, like with love, like the love of God, those two greatest commandments for love for others, like, if that's not our why, then he says we're like a resounding gong, a clanging cymbal. And so really, when it comes down to our motive, the question is, again, God asking, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And if you do, and if, if we do, then let's get after it. Let's get out there. Let's do good. Let's give generously. And let's do it all to the glory of God. Because again, we recognize we can never outgive the God who gave us his one and only son, who would live only to give his life. So if we place our faith in him, we can be given the gift of this whole new kind of life. Right here and fully realized eternally in heaven. And so it's so appropriate that um, we each week, we are reminded of this uh, in what we call communion. And uh, so hopefully you received a, a little communion kit when you walked in here in the room or the East Auditorium. If not, there's some folks walking around. You can slip your hand up, we'll get you one of those. Uh, where we just are anchored in what uh, we would call the gospel, the good news that this is nothing we do of our own, but that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed to that sacrificial death with his disciples uh, in an act of remembrance to ensure that we would not forget. He said, this bread, this is my body given for you, and this cup, this is my blood poured out for you. And so whenever you eat this bread, you drink this cup, you proclaim, you remember, you relive the reality of what the Christian faith is all about, that God has been good to us and given us his one and only son who gave his life that we might be given this gift of a new life. So over the next few moments, uh, we're gonna sing a song in response to this reality. And so I just encourage you just to listen to the truth of what communion is all about and the words of the song. And then as you feel led and as you reflect and as you pray and you give thanks to take the bread and to take the cup. Uh, and then with that, as you feel led, uh, we invite you to stand because it's, it's kind of hard almost to resist the lyric. It says that we can, we can lift up our head, that we rise uh, in praise to him for what he's done. And so as you partake, and then as you feel uh, ready, you're all, we'll invite you to stand and join us as we sing. And I'd be amiss to say just one more thing, that as you hear all this, you hear the good news of what Jesus has done for us, what our good God has done for us. If you realize, okay, I've been coming, I've been attending, I'm, I'm, I've been checking this out, like, that's awesome. But there's gonna be a point where you gotta say, okay, do I believe this? Do I believe that God sent his one and only son? to give his life that I might be given the gift of a new life and to choose to place your faith, not just in the microcosms of the things that we talk about, but like at the baseline to say, okay, God, I surrender my life to you. I don't know fully what that means, but I'm ready to take that step of faith to discover all the ways that you have given me life and life to the full in the life that you've given me. And so 
If we can have that conversation with you, Pastor BJ and I will be here at the front of the room at the end of the service. Uh, as people leave, just if you wanna make your way to the front, we'd be honored to have that conversation with you. There's some folks also in the East Auditorium and your online host would all be willing to do the same, uh, to be able to be a part of your journey in taking that next step to discover what it looks like to follow Jesus, not just in this life, but into all of eternity. Let me pray for us. And then I invite you to take communion as you feel led and then to join us in stand and singing. Lord Jesus, there is no topic that doesn't take us back to this topic. No matter what we talk about, no matter what the subject of the day, that uh, the subject beneath all of it is the reality that there was nothing we could do to earn our way towards you. We can't give, we can't serve, we can't do enough good. Like we're not even trying to do that, God. We receive and believe and accept what you have done for us in your son, Jesus. And we wanna live our lives as a thank you note that when we do good, when we serve, when we give, that that is simply just a small way to which we respond and reflect of our worth and worship of who you are and what you are up to. And so we give you thanks for the greatest gift of new life that was made possible only by your son, Jesus, as we remember his body and his blood given and shed for us. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.